Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges, where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I'm your host. If you like what you hear, subscribe so that you don't miss any great programs. And I always love and appreciate those five-star reviews. Thank you for those. Today's quote of the day is, giving up doesn't have to mean you're weak. Sometimes it means that you are strong enough to let go. Now, this one has been attributed to several different people, and I'm not really sure who went first. So I'm just going to leave it as anonymous. We have an outstanding guest today that I'm super excited about because uh, we've come together in several different capacities, and now I consider her a friend as well. So I'm going to share with you. Her name is Sue Alexander. She is a Connecticut Yankee firmly transplanted in California. So jealous. Professionally, Sue currently runs a consulting business, planning conferences and events. At 54, her world was splintered by the question, if I'm not a planner, what am I and what do I do next? Seven years later, she's found her answer and is seeking new opportunities as a leader in nonprofits using programs and education to connect people with others and resources to address issues. She is an expert at starting over and being resilient. Sue also is the proud mom of two reciprocally proud adulting kids learning how to be successful in their own unique ways. So I would like to welcome Sue. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Heather. I'm really excited to do this with you. Uh, sure you are. I don't know if that's excitement. Or <laughs> you know me well. <laughs> I know. I know. So here's what I'd like you to do. I've got a ton of questions for you because I know you well, but I'd like you to just give a little background for our listeners who don't know you as well as I do. Anything you want to share with them before we dive in? Oh, you know, I've been a planner for a lot of years, and I have done meeting planning, I've done tour planning, I have done construction work planning. So to say that I'm a planner is definitely correct, but I've also found that it can also be a weakness that I over plan, mm. and I'm, now I'm learning to add more white space to my world and let things happen because they can. I love that because you've become professional at stepping outside your comfort zone, which isn't comfortable all the time for someone who loves to plan, right? To, <laughs> to kind of push yourself past your boundaries, but you've gotten really good at it. That's awesome. Oh, thanks. Now, I know that you have a lot of experience in starting over. So do you want to share any of the the lessons that you learned with that or the different times? We're going to dive deeper into the lessons. But how, why do you think that you're an expert in that area? Well, yeah, I think I've been overly adaptable and all for the right reasons. I've made choices that I don't regret. Um, they're difficult to explain without having the opportunity to actually explain it. Um, you know, I have lived in a lot of different locations, and I have um, adventured in different careers. I alluded earlier that I have worked in commercial construction. I have worked in higher ed. I have worked in nonprofits, and now I have my own business. Um, I have been laid off probably twice, maybe three times in the past, so that has been a lot of starting over. Um, but my decisions have always been based on what my family needed to have happen. 
Um, I was married for 28 years, and my husband's career was more profitable than mine. So we moved to follow his career, which meant starting over each time. Um, I've raised two kids, both of whom had different kinds of needs at different times. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to see a lot of the world. A lot of the places I've lived in have been exciting. Um, but it has meant leaving friends behind. It has meant starting over and not always in the most logical career paths. Yeah. You know, what's interesting when you tell your story, I, I think that um, a lot of people that I have met that I think are absolutely the most fascinating, the most successful, have a backstory of things like, you know, being laid off or going bankrupt or, you know, starting different kinds of businesses and, and having that variety of lessons, I think, is ultimately what made them successful. Do you agree? I think that it builds character, which, as everyone tells us, is supposed to make us more interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that it is fantastic that I have lived in seven different states all across the country and not just to be in the airport, but to actually live there for more than two years. Um, I, you know, as you talked about before, I was born and raised in Connecticut and came back to Connecticut um, a number of years later. And then I picked up and moved to California. Um, I, I, I think that taking risk and coming out of your comfort zone, as you said, is something that is important because it gives you a strength that you know that you can do it even if you don't know what it is that you're doing. Um, yeah. One of the proudest moments I think that I've ever had is my daughter, when she graduated from college, she said, Mom, I'm coming to California. And she was up in Maine. And it previously told me there was no way she was moving to California. And her comment to explain why this change of heart was because you've shown me that it doesn't matter if I'm afraid to do something, that letting go of it is something that I need to do to prove to myself I can. And moving someplace new, someplace different will show me that. And I think it's a good thing to do. If I hate it, I can always change it and come back. What a fantastic lesson to teach your daughter. Isn't that that? That's great. Those are the times when you just like, okay, I'm doing okay, right? Where you can kind of breathe into it and say. <laughs> exactly. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I have a question. It was, what is it, about seven years ago where, you know, things happened and you had a bit of a, a wake-up call. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? There were some, some things that had happened, some people that you lost. Uh, yeah, it was a perfect storm of circumstance. Um, I was in a job that wasn't particularly fulfilling, and there were some unique challenges there. Uh, we had just moved to a new location. Um, my son had graduated from high school, and my daughter was off at college, so there was a little bit of an empty nest syndrome. We had moved my 90-year-old mother up to Connecticut, not to live with us, but to be closer to family. And then things started falling apart. Um, I started saying, okay, well, you know, what's going on? And it was the same summer that I actually had three different reunions to go to. And people were all excited about their careers. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, not so much. Mm -hmm. And then um, in a very bizarre set of circumstances, there were the next 24 months in which 22 people died. And these mm -hmm. were people that were high school friends, college friends, 
parents, not my parents, but my friend's parents from childhood. In fact, it started with the death of a mother of a childhood friend and ended 24 months later with the death of her father. Um, But going to a lot of funerals makes you say, hey, you know, what are people going to say about me when I die? Mm. And I didn't have a good answer. And it became something of a universal billboard saying, so what are you going to make a change about? How are you going to fix this? You have 30, 40 more years to live. My mother's older. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have faith that I will have a number of years. And I stood facing that blank slate saying, I don't know how I'm going to fill the blank slate. That's a powerful thing to ask. And I find that that people do it around this time frame, right? And sometimes people don't do it. But when you do, when you take the time to ask, what do I want to leave behind, right? Mm-hmm. Then it, it starts to have you make different choices. And that's what it's all about, right? The, the choices that we make. Absolutely. And, you know, and for me, it was not only looking to the future, but from, from the future, I'm now looking back and saying, you've done a lot of really great things that I had undervalued. Mm. And to, to give importance to those things, I've got two kids that are fantastic. That is a great testimony to anyone. But I've worked in education, and there are a lot of people whose lives I have touched directly that I had chosen to forget. Mm. Um, And I was asked to go back and get in touch with old friends um, and and got some delightful stories from them about how I had changed their lives. And so it was becoming a valuation of my past and my present in order to be able to move forward. Yeah. And I I think that you're not alone in the fact that people often push aside the compliments. They push aside the acknowledgments, the the people who are saying, oh, you do a great job. You're like, oh, no, 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 that was easy. Uh, You know, don't we do that? Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's important. It was a great lesson for you to find out that we we need to embrace and celebrate those things because that helps to build the momentum to continue to do them and continue to make a difference in people's lives and in the world. I, I absolutely agree with that. But it, what it also did for me was to breathe life back into the things that I had just shoved back. Mm. Um, and it made, quite honestly, it made me feel better about myself, about what I was doing, and that you know my past was not this desolate dare, uh, desert of things left undone because I've never wanted to live that way. And I don't think that I ever did. I just forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we just need to remind people. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, I, I find that a lot with people that I come across that they're, you know, their parents, their educators, people in their life when they were growing up, their belief system impacted their their thought process and actions. Did you find that? Oh, absolutely. I am the youngest of four. I have three older brothers. Uh, my parents were both raised during the Depression. Um, in Connecticut, and their experiences clearly were a large part of the color of my fabric of my life. Um, you know, they were, well, yeah, you're a great singer, but you're a big fish in a little pond. And that message to me was, well, don't go find that bigger pond because you're not going to be any good and no one will recognize you. Um, you know, as I went through life, that probably wasn't so true. And I 
was so surprised to find that that wasn't true, that I didn't know what to do. And I was already set on a different path. So I gave up singing or didn't sing in the same way or same capacity as I could have. Um, Again, I don't regret that choice, but I'm not so sure that that would have been my choice had I known that at 18. Um, yeah, my, my takeaway from that is it's not that I need to know that I'm a big fish in a little pond. I just need to find the right pond. And that's more important. Um, you know, my, my, my brothers are almost a generation older than I am. So there was a lot of parenting going on by people who weren't actually my parents. My grandparents were involved. My parents were involved. My brothers were involved. Um, and so I think that keeping me humble was a very large part of my upbringing by, by them. Um, and that didn't necessarily that, serve that, me that, as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, now I think that you are taking back control of that, right? You're getting to choose which of those belief systems serve you, which you may want to tweak a little bit, which you want to own as your own, right? Correct. I'm always going to be a reserved person. I come from New England. What what else are we going to say? Um, But I am becoming increasingly more comfortable saying, yes, I can do that. This is what I've done. And I can do a lot of things that I have not believed myself capable of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. You know, when we had chatted about this, we were talking about how we both really liked the theme of giving up, but giving up the fear, not giving up your your goals or striving, right? Right. So uh, the next couple of questions that I think I want to focus in that area, what did you have to give up or what do you believe you might want to give up or what would you recommend to others to give up now when it comes to you know there was a period of your life where you you kind of pulled back right and there was some Mm -hmm. isolation what tell about how that relates to the giving up I think that when I got laid off the first time it was right after I had had my son um and I went back to work and four days later was laid off Uh, That was such a shock because I wasn't expecting it that um, and the way it was done was not not particularly great. But nonetheless, um, you know, I was embarrassed. And I think that many people who have been laid off would tell you the same thing. It's embarrassing Um, and it makes you draw back and withdraw. And while I have always worked and always had work and done many different things, I think that that lived with me and continued to live. And actually, the next time I got laid off, it got to be a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. And changing jobs as many times as I did and facing the times of unemployment while I settled my family in, while I tried to find a job in this new location that we had lived in, um, it ate away at my own self-confidence that I had value, that I simply needed to adapt to survive. And when this whole thing came up with my universal billboard, I didn't have a network. I didn't have a lot of support to rebuild that energy needed to go out boldly and find work that was meaningful to me or to find the life that was meaningful to me. Um, One of the things that I think that I have uncovered in this process is my core value is a need to 
be connected with others. And so being isolated was the very last thing that I needed to have. Um, I, I shunned myself from other people. So giving up, waiting to be seen, to be recognized for what I've done in the past is something that I'm purposefully giving up because I have to claim it for myself. If I don't claim it for myself, no one else is going to give it to me. Right. Yeah, that's so true. We have to feel that worth and then others will see it. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's really powerful. And I think a lot of listeners will be able to take that away and be able to apply it in in their own worlds. Now, I, I know that um, I'd love for you to share a little bit more about your your career path, you know, and and what you learned there and what you're giving up as it relates to that. All right. So um, when I went to college, uh, like many women of my generation, this this, I believe, is truly a female generation thing. I went to college with no plan what I was going to do and went through three and a half years with no plan. Mm. Um, I had a major in medieval and Renaissance studies. Oh, that must um, have come in handy. No, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely not a career path I would recommend for anyone. Um, and I was so surprised my senior year, second semester, when someone said, well, what jobs are you applying for? And I remember this conversation so clearly because the look on my face must have been, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, and unfortunately, I think that I probably moved forward with that. So I did what every reasonable woman does. I stayed on a year. I interned with the Dean of Students and went to grad school after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had the unique situation of being turned down for every job I ever had uh, for a number of years, where I would interview and get turned down. The person who was offered the job would reject it, and then they would come back to me and I would go work for them. <laughs> so I, I That's had one strategy. Okay. <laughs> not a good one. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I have to say that I don't know if I have ever really been in control of my career ever. So, you know, I went and I got my master's degree in higher ed administration, which is working in universities in student activities. I did that for about 10 years, got laid off, started my own business as a publisher. I published engineering textbooks for Van Ostrand Reinhold. I did all the layout, the editing, and everything else while having an infant in my uh, office. Then when that got to be a little bit much to handle having a second child, I went out and got a job working in commercial construction. I was an admin but got promoted. I became a scheduler for one of Intel Fab's projects, which I had no idea how to do, but, you know, I was a planner, so I could do that. And then started a 12-year career actually in commercial construction. I moved from being a scheduler to being a project manager and did that even when we moved from Arizona to Virginia. Then one of my clients was starting a nonprofit and asked if I would come and be the administrator for her Breast Cancer Research Foundation, which I did for a couple of years. Great experience. Uh, It was even better because I could work from home and raise my two kids and made that work. Then we moved to Connecticut. Uh, There was, uh, and that was at the time of the last latest and greatest stock market crash. And so there was no work to be found. Eventually I found a job 
and that was working for a medical association, running their meetings, and as the director of education and publications. It was a great introduction to running meetings as a professional. I had done student activities, I had run continuing education programs, but not as my sole job. That was great. I did that for five years. Uh, then we went through this whole upheaval and I moved to California to do the same thing. When I got here three weeks later, the man that I'd come to work for, to be mentored by, to learn how to run associations, decided he was going to retire, which sent everything into a tailspin for a number of months. The new executive director decided to move the office from California to Chicago, and he hired new staff, which meant that it was laid off again. Mm -hmm. That's when I started my own business as a consultant for running meetings and to do event marketing. I've been doing that for a little bit more than a year now. Uh, and so I'm looking to see what is the next thing and it may be this, and it may be going back to working to nonprofits. I think I have a lot to offer there, but time will tell as things go on. Yeah, you, you know what? It's striking me that you you sound like a Renaissance woman, meaning that you know when you <laughs> say I when, majored in medieval and Renaissance. Yeah, for there a you go. Everything comes full circle because in the past, and I think the reason why you have this perception that you were out of control of the situations, right? And that it was bad to, to shift um, careers because in the past, there was this focus on longevity, right? And mm -hmm. on being with a company for a very long time. I think you were just ahead of your time because that's <laughs> it's not the case anymore, right? I mean, what do they say? The average is like, 15 different careers that people are expected to have now in their life. So you just paved the way, I think, for people. Well, again, I'll use my kids as a great example. Um, you know, when I moved to California, it was a big, bold move to, move to, to make that kind of a transition. Mm -hmm. My kids are so proud of me. They tell me often that I am a role model for them because they believe that they can do anything if they take the chance, if they get out of their comfort zone, and if they want it badly enough. Right. Um, you can't ask for a better testimonial than that. 100%. You've done a fantastic job with that. And you know what? Um, you're, you're very humble. So you're, I'm going to speak on your behalf because, <laughs> a, you, you know, a lot of times, People don't, you don't want to come on here and be like, oh, I'm the best leader, whatever. But you have heard from people and you have demonstrated over and over again an incredible amount of expertise and experience in leading and in innovative new ways to do things, to solve problems, strategy for organizations. And I, I think that you may be downplaying that a bit. I mean, one of the things that I love that I've heard um, that keeps coming up and why I believe you do such a good job in these areas is your ability to focus on why. And now I'm a I'm a huge proponent of this. So it's always drawn me when you've told stories about to me about, um, you know, searching for the why and then solving a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I love this focus on why. And so how do you think that our listeners can use this best in their world? Do you have any advice for them? I am a big proponent of keep it simple, stupid. Mm 
<laughs> yeah. And I've used it and I've used it as a party theme. <laughs> it just, it, it is so valuable. So I like to break things down to the sim- simple common denominator. Why are we doing this? What is our purpose? Why should we make this decision over another? If you understand what the why is, and a person can have many of them, but if you understand personally what your why is, if an organization understands their mission statement, their why statement, it makes decision-making a lot easier. There are so many distractions that we can go off and we can plan an event doing untold numbers of things. We have thousands of great ideas. So often we get distracted by that bright, shopper, bright shiny copper penny we miss that it has nothing to do with why we're doing it right so when i plan a meeting or an event what's the purpose what is it that you want to get out of it and so we get to the end of what it's going to look like and then plan backwards Mm -hmm. on how to achieve that and what i failed to do in my own personal life was to find out what my why was which is what this exercise over the past year and a half has been to understand what my purpose in life is and plan the same way that I would plan an event. I think that is key because the, this strategy that you have used in business can very strongly correlate to personal life. So I think it's valid for anyone listening, whether it's some of my entrepreneur peeps out there, um, whether it's the salespeople that I work with, whether it's an individual who's going through a transition, whether it's a corporate person, this is a key lesson that you're sharing with people is that when you get to that why and you make your decisions based on that why, that's how you really take it to the next level. I think that's great, great learning for people. And the other thing is that it makes it easier to say no. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. You know how hard it is for most of the people that I come in contact with, you know, myself included, to say no? (laughs) And and I think that is true personally as well as it is for business. You know, if you have in an association a membership that wants you to do a dozen different things, it's very difficult to say no to someone because they're very excited. They're a volunteer. They want to do this so badly. But if it doesn't relate to the why, that's an expenditure of resources that and energy being the most important of which that an organization can't afford to spend. Oh my gosh, that just makes me think back to my experience in the nonprofit world. Because in in the nonprofit world, I think it becomes um, infinitely more important to be cognizant of the decisions that you make and how it impacts the bottom line. And um, because everything goes back to to doing good, and there's a lot of volunteers that are involved. And so I am imagining that when they use this, that uh, increases engagement and um, the right financial focus. Do you, do you agree? Absolutely. It, it becomes very easy then to message that why through whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. That if you have a mission statement and your events relate to that mission statement, you get a double whammy for your marketing efforts. Not only you're promoting the event, you're also still promoting the core value of your organization. Oh, I love it. 
I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you. Now, um, I know that there are, you know, I, I happen to have a lot of planners who I work with. So I figured that why not give them a tip? Because you're a planner, if you were speaking directly to some of my planner friends, what what would you say to them as some words of wisdom you'd like to leave for them? Do you remember the first time that we did a presentation together? It was at a yes. conference and yes. we talked about strategic meeting planning. Yes. That had nothing to do with being a meeting planner. It had to be how you aligned yourself with the mission of the organization so that you became the strategist, not for your event, but using the event as a tool for the organization. Mm-hmm. I still stand by that, that if you are a meeting planner, it is not about your meeting. It is all about your organization. And one can't go before the other. Awesome. It's the marketing, the power of the event, the attendees, they have to be focused on the organization in order for the organization to thrive. Oh, my gosh, that's so important. And I'm not sure it's done all the time. I really am not. I can tell you that it's not. I, I have spoken to a lot of meeting planners who are all about their meeting and they're fantastic planners. I am not saying that, but they forget to go back to the why of their organization. Yeah. That's what being strategic is. Unfortunately, in the meeting planning business, strategic meeting planning has become how we consolidate our effort as meeting planners so that economically it's a strategy rather than a mission strategy. And I think that's true corporate, and I think it's true for nonprofits. Yeah, yeah, that's really powerful. And thank you for sharing that with them. It, I, can you imagine, we've already gone 30, you know, we thought, oh, 30 minutes is gonna be so long, right? But yeah. uh, it flew by, didn't it? I told I you did. this was gonna happen. <laughs> This is less painful than I thought. Uh, you know, everybody's so scared of me. Come on, I'm I'm harmless. No. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't go there. Uh, okay, well, maybe not harmless, but no. Um, <laughs> so if we then kind of stuck with this theme that we've been talking about about what we giving up, right? Giving up fear or giving up, um, you know, different things that are holding us back. What do you want to leave the listeners with today? I think for me, understanding who I am, what I am and why I am is super important for me to be able to set the path for the future. And applying that is so critical because I am a planner and because I am quiet. I often have worked in the shadows to make other people look really good. Mm-hmm. And I create events designed to make an organization look fantastic. Why wouldn't you want to join us? I have set up bosses. I have set up co-workers to make presentations of my ideas that make them sound brilliant. Yeah. And I've never taken credit for it. I'm not doing that anymore. So for me, giving up being in the shadows and stand in a spotlight mm. is my new goal. It is what I will do in the future. I gave up singing because I didn't think that I was good enough. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm plenty good for a lot of things. And even if I'm not that good, I'm still going to go ahead and do them. It's for me. It's not for someone else to say I'm not good at. Yeah. And you know what? I think that this 
realization of your value is coming across as um, this confident, beautiful soul. And I think you should continue to let go and give up that um, which you've done in the past and own who you are because you're doing a fantastic job, Sue. Thank you so Uh much for what you. you bring to the table here today. And the other tip that you have given me is actually turn down the volume on the people who are making criticism or you think are going to make criticism. Just turn the volume down. Yeah. Oh, I like that. When you say something back to me, I'm like, well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sue. I really appreciate your time and all the great wisdom nuggets that you provided for us today. You are so welcome. This has been very fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks. You take care. All right. Bye-bye.